that building full of fright, I dreamt that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show, and I must confess to you, there were many there I knew. Hello. Hi. At the devil's ball. At the devil's ball. Welcome to The Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about eternal damnation. Tonight, I'm Jamin. Tonight, I'm Jacob. Tonight, I'm Victoria. Tomorrow, I want to be Victoria. Uh, <laughs> second Tuesday of next week, I'm going to be Victoria. Y'all are supposed to follow the schedule. You're not following the schedule of who gets to be Victoria. Oh. But you control the schedule. <laughs> Your point? <laughs> this week's topic is the Mesopotamian afterlife. We have a, uh, a different kind of hell. But first, did anyone bring anything to the party? Well... Given the week that we've been through, I had to label the whiskey bottle because I kept thinking that the apple cider vinegar was the whiskey bottle. Mm. I just kind of gave up. <laughs> gave up, to be honest. I just totally gave up. Went outside, grabbed some snow, put it in a blender, got some uh, Everclear, put that in the blender, threw in some sand. So that's what I've got going on. So you, so you made a white claw. Yeah, I made a white claw, a mango flavored white claw, actually. It's like a prison pina colada. <laughs> mm. Mm. Well, I did bring some entertainment. Uh, being treated like tusk dogs in an infernal demon infested hurricane. Okay. I okay. do not know what the difference between being treated like a dog and being treated like a tusk dog is. Well, the dentist bill is a different thing. It's true. The hurricane. Whew, whew. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's been a cold week. And I, I still on my avocado kick, so I brought vegan avocado ramen. Mm. You start with a mild cucumber broth. You bring that to a boil. You throw the egg noodles in. And while that's boiling, you slice your avocados. Mm. You don't want them too thin because they'll fall apart. Mm. You want, you know, good chunks. And then you kind of decoratively place your avocado on top of your egg noodles and your cucumber broth. And uh, a warm, hearty meal. Does one start with frozen avocado chunks? That might make things less mushy. I should remember that next time. Hmm. Hmm. Does it taste like ghosts? I feel like that would taste like ghosts. I've never licked a ghost. <laughs> yet. Yet. I've not yet licked a ghost. <laughs> Do you remember the water cakes? Were you there when I made those? Oh, yeah. Those were really good. Those kind of tasted like ghosts. Oh, I want to do... Oh, okay. Well, that's a side conversation. Water cakes in those... Uh, decorative jelly desserts where you use all the implements to inject inject oh every implement <sighs> like every single implement was used that's my asmr <laughs> it's just watching people pierce jello it's the perfect cooking for social distancing it really is <laughs> i liked watching the videos of people sprinkling the peanut powder like beautifully across it and then just like Dumping mine on. Here's a splot. <laughs> I'm going to eat it. I'm going to chew it up. These are Tasted perfect, delicious. perfect little globes of agar agar gelatin water. They're just water with vague shape. It usually tastes kind of like seaweed ghosts. Mm. Yeah. So, can I talk about what I found at Half Price Books? Oh, oh yes, yes, please do. I'm very excited about this. If it's what I think it is, it is just. I was just amazed by this. I'm amazed that I found it. I'm amazed that I'd never heard of it before. But I was I snuck into Half Price Books just as a way of finding anything to do in this last couple of weird weeks. And in the comic book section, there was a bargain basement graphic novel. It was Mickey's Inferno. This is a 1948 Italian licensed Disney adaptation of the Inferno. And it features like a lot of the characters that were popular at the time in 1950. So you got like the Pinocchios and Song of the South and um, Geppetto and Mickey and Goofy and Pluto, of course. But it's a f reasonably faithful retelling of the Inferno. Do you know any publishing history about this? Like I'm fascinated by what, why somebody might do this and were there other sort of classics illustrated featuring? Yes. yes, I do. I do have some context on it. It was part of the great parodies line which was an Italian initiative 
Topolito, I think is the name of it, Mickey Mouse comic book. So it's ex- exclusively Italian. And at issue number seven, they started doing literary parody, a little bit highbrow stuff. But for context, I think it's worth remembering this is 1948, three years after World War II, five years after Mussolini, I think. Ooh. And it's this, this book has a very – it ends in a prayer for the motherland that's well-regarded by Dante scholars despite being this very silly book. It's, it's like a connection to Roots, but also it's a new medium like licensed Disney comics, uh, and they're experimenting with it and being playful. So there's a lot of interesting context there. So if I read that, does that count for me reading The Inferno? No. I'm sorry. No. no. I, I, I want to float this, though. In for yeah. November. Oh, okay. Maybe it could be like, one, you know, one I check in on my progress reading yeah. the Inferno and my, my, uh, maybe I should do like a journal, an Inferno journal. <laughs> Your hell journey. Infernaling. Infernaling. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this, this Mickey book, it's remarkably well done. Like the production value is amazing. The, the visual storytelling is amazing. It's all amazing. It's just you're telling Dante's Inferno, which I don't, I don't get. But I'm not Italian. Uh, it, it's it's such a like cultural document for Italy that I think it's it's reasonable that's where they'd start, and it's like a connection to roots after after World War II. I guess it's it's kind of like you he, you hear millennials say like you'll hear the William Tell Overture, the the Spring Song or the Morning Song come on right. And they'll, they'll reminisce, it's like, I want my kids to learn about classical music the way I did. From a cross-dressing rabbit on TV. I've got a review of it on our blog. So if you go to dispatch.ist and check the blog links, it's like halfway down the page. Some nice images, cultural references, and uh, one Eurobeat music video. Yes. So, oh, uh, yes. Bazooki stand. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, I need to. I haven't watched that yet because I yeah I want to I want to think about that more. <laughs> I, I will say that that sent me um, to look for a, an inferno that I might purchase, and of course I tried to you know buy some time by trying to find the best. Like what is the best translation? And I did not know. Do you know who uh, translated and published the first American version of the Inferno? I was one of the. American romantics. Yes, he's not a short guy. He's a Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yes, Abraham Lincoln. What do you have against short men? <laughs> he's a long. He was Longfellow. Okay. Okay. Oh, mm-hmm. I. Oh. See. I see. see? Mm. Supposedly, it's still one of the the most uh, highly regarded translations. So I need to I need to get me one of those unless I can find another way to kind of keep procrastinating. My Kindle's dead, so I can't. There's yeah, a Dover I, publication of it with the original drawings. Ooh, the drawings. Okay. Mm-hmm. Say, I, I can't find my charging cable, so I, I can't read a book. Oh, mm. yeah, that's hard. You're never going to be able to read again. Ever. I'm so sorry for you. Some real Dante news, though. Uh because this mm-hmm. is your one-stop shop for Dante news. There is a new opera coming out called Dante. Dante. So have you seen the movie Hannibal? Oh, yes. Somewhere in the middle. I, I have not. I'm sorry. But somewhere in the middle, there's... Is, is that the one where he crosses the Alps with the elephants? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eats them. I'd at, eat an elephant. At some point early in the movie, there's a scene where they put on a little mock opera in the film. And the music they play in the background, Vita Cor Meum, is ridiculously well-known. It's the most popular track on the soundtrack, and that soundtrack is one of the top 100 soundtracks of all time. It's really beautiful, soaring. It's not a true opera, but it captures so much of opera in this lovely soprano. And that piece becomes the backdrop for this, this opera by Patrick Cassidy, the composer of the Hannibal soundtrack. If I watch Hannibal again, does that count as me reading The Inferno? No. But Damn it. but I haven't seen it yet, so maybe we can watch that together. <laughs> mm, okay, that sounds good. It's, it's, yeah. it's not the Inferno. It starts out with Dante meeting Beatrice at age 12, where they have this platonic 
troubadour love thing that goes on, but they never actually meet again, I think. But that Vita Cormea is the moment they meet. And then that music becomes kind of a thread through the entire opera, which goes through Inferno and it ends up with the two of them reuniting in heaven. And Dante died like a year after the Divine Comedy was published. So that's kind of operatic and poetic on its own. Oh. Did you know that Ted Nugent met his wife when she was like 12 or 13 or 14 or something like that? So maybe Ted Nugent is... The modern Dante? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yes. Cat Scratch Ted, Fever is the equivalent to... Ted Nugent song. also wrote the song Troubadour Love. <laughs> See, it all scans. Are we joking or telling the truth here? You'll never know. Probably not. So in other hell news, friend listener, it's probably weeks, maybe a week after we do this. We've just ended the first season of hell here in Austin, Texas, where magical everyone died. Some of us got better. This is the first day where I can see the outside and there's not ice on my window and it was very very cold and it was very very miserable and no one was happy and i i think it was a good place to say this sucks i'm in hell but it's over and so now uh, as you're listening it's probably 112 in the shade it's february (laughs) the sky is blue and the birds are singing and the cactus are wilting so i'm glad we all made it this far thanks for joining me on this magical journey yes short episode yeah, and if you if and you, scene if you didn't know what happened in Austin, <laughs> go ahead and Google Austin. <laughs> I, I, I and I I joke because the power has been out an awful lot, and so like I'll be on my phone and be like, "You Google Austin Power," because you'll get the the newest tweets and the live feeds. It's like, "Hey, listen, you have no power," but autocorrect keeps like murdering me, and it's like, "Do you want to watch this clip of Austin Powers?" <laughs> Oh my gosh! What that's so that's I mean, so awful. Y- yes, yes, I do. Yeah, it hilarious. was you know fat bastard. Eh? But like, <laughs> no, wait, stop! I'm cold and miserable. Like, oh ha ha ha! With the guns and the and the hairy chest. Like, oh, Austin Power, man. <laughs> the little Jacob. Yes, Jacob. As I not pound my fist on the table, tell us about the. Mesopotamian afterlife. Yes. Can I tell you about Mesopotamia first? Can I tell you about Mesopotamia first? And I'll be very short. Sure. Do you remember a few episodes back when we talked about the river gods? Yes. Potomoy? I did. I do. Right? And I was like, oh, neat. Potomoy. The, the Potamus is the thing. The Potamus is the river. Yes. And I know this was explained to me, but no one ever podcasted this at me. If you have a region... Between the Tigris and the Euphrates, that's between two rivers. It's Mesopotamus. Yes, and I'm like light bulbs, man. Okay, I'm done. Go ahead. No, Tell I us was about I was with you. I was like, oh, I felt it. It all kind of kind of clicked. Yeah, like, I know that I, word. Like hippopotamus, river horse. River- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And so I'm with you. The, the, the Tigris and the Euphrates, they're still there. They're kind of a little like Y shape now. But if you roll back in time 2,000 years, they're kind of this, this big diamond shaped delta in the middle of, uh, I guess, Iraq, um, the Persian Gulf area. Mesopotamia, which was for about 3,000 years the political center of everything, it's about the size of Pennsylvania, you know, 300 miles long, 150 miles wide. So Pennsylvania, but maybe a little bit stretched out. And this entire place, this region, was, is what ancient Greece is to us. It's classical civilization for the classical cultures. The glory days of Mesopotamia were to the ancient Greeks what the ancient Greeks are to us now. It's so far back and so far removed. And I don't know. It's kind of amazing. Just like a time frame of it, Greece, the period with all the statues and things, that was about 500 B.C. Egypt was maybe 3100 BC, the pyramids and the Sphinx and all that was like 2500 BC with Israel, which will, the history of Israel will come up a lot, I suppose, in future episodes. Abraham might've been around 1800 BC and Moses was 1400 BC and Exodus was 800 BC, go figure. 
according to Archbishop James Usher, the age of the earth is October 24th, 4004 BC. So that's logical. I would say that again. Was it uh, the earth is Libra? Well, that explains a lot. <laughs> so a, a couple of people, a couple of people like trusting the wrong people, <laughs> never cu- making a decision. And I think the 1700s, a couple of uh, overly erudite folks uh, mapped out the age of the earth based on biblical chronology and the church and the calendars. We know it, that sort of thing. And the more famous of them was the Usher chronology, which says earth, October 24th, 4004 BC. So, the first city and the beginnings of writing and urbanization, uh, this is the Uruk period in Mesopotamia, was 4100 BC. So it's about 100 years older than the world. Wow. Can I just say, can I just insert here that I enjoyed doing the bit of research that I did for this? Because the only, the only knowledge I had of Mesopotamia came, A, from the B-52 song, which I don't think is actually canon. Can you play that now? Yes, I think we should play that now. I am no student. Of ancient culture. Before I talk, I should read a book. <laughs> it's a great song. We've had that stuck in our head. But it's, it's a good earworm. It is. Um then the place that you and I used to work together, Jacob, uh, having to work on world history textbooks and having to work on chapters about the Sumerians and the Babylonians and the Akkadians and the, who's the other group? The Sumerians. I want to call them the Arachnids and I know that's wrong. Oh, the Anunnaki? <laughs> no. Um, yes. No, 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 no. The, uh, oh, 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 I've got it Akkadians, somewhere. Akkadians, Assyrians. Assyrians. Yes. Uh-huh. And the. The goes, winged bull guy. Yeah. It goes mm-hmm. Akkadians, Assyrians, Sumerians, Hittites, Antbites, Fleabites. Ah, see? See, so I've learned stuff. I've learned even more. So mm. I'm I'm excited that I've learned more than the three pages devoted in a world history textbook <laughs> For kids. to this very deep <laughs> subject. I'll I'll agree with you. I kind of thought of this, you know, as the old is the old and the city of Ur, you are, is, you know, kind of this old city where we dug up some stuff. And it was one of the first old cities we dug up. And uh, what, a hundred, couple hundred years ago when the Germans and the French were doing this, the term became synonymous with like first, you know, we have like, oh, here's the Ur carriage. Here's the Ur hatchet, right? This is it. Except the city of Ur was one of the latest Sumerian and Mesopotamian cities to be in that culture. Like all the other cities they found were before Ur oh. by hundreds and thousands of years. Ur, Ur was the first and one of the last as well. It's got a huge time frame on it. That's okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Ur, or, or maybe not Ur, but Uruk. Uruk is the one of the first ones. Uruk was the city that Gilgamesh was king of uh, back in the day. Mm-hmm. You can't really point to a period of being the end of Mesopotamia. Like around 650, it just started not being a great place to live for a huge number of reasons. There was... Gentrification. Yeah, gentrification. The only Starbucks in town closed. Man. There was a lot of internal civil war, uh, an unsuccessful secession. That's a common one. And I saw a documentary that said that another major thing was that agriculture, which kind of began Mesopotamia because they were able to harvest wheat for the first time kind of killed it because their irrigation just brought all these nasty salts to the surface and no crops would grow anymore. So Mm. everybody kind of spread to the mountains and the interior did not do so well. And then the Persians took it over and the Romans took it over and the Greeks took it over and everybody took it over. But it never really ended because like there are groups that still speak Mesopotamian languages today. Like a a Christian Gnostic branch still, still uses that, uh, those naming traditions and that language. Their myths flow into the Jewish and Greek mythologies, it it didn't really die. It just kind of became culture backdrop for the next generation. Could, could I say something controversial or ask a controversial question? If you don't, I'll be disappointed. <laughs> Did Christianity also kind of kill it? No, Christianity killed I Rome. I think it was, yeah, I feel, I feel like it was dead before Christianity. Yeah. Well, not okay. dead, but stagnant. Right. Yeah, that it makes was... It was dead before, like, the Jewish mythology really started setting in, I think. Because, like, 
800 to 400 or so was kind of the ancient Israel period. And um, that was when Mesopotamia is winding down. And, and like you said, it never really died. It came very minor. Saddam Hussein built a ziggurat. Like he was just like, hey, guys, uh, it's time for a new one. And he did. So, did he really? I had no idea. Yeah. He, he either built a brand new one or he completely renovated an old one. <laughs> That'd be hard so to that's do. To just, that's yeah. so Trumpian. Oh, it's, let's it's, let's let's just say it's Husseinian. Okay, it's Husseinian because yeah, he was yeah, okay. Good, good, good point. Mm-hmm. Another huge important thing about Mesopotamia land was it was urban, and that was really a new thing. So, like a lot of the myths have this urban core to them. Like Gilgamesh is a Gilgamesh's foil is this wild man who was raised by the gazelles who learns to be human and goes back to the city, and then they kind of play back and forth there. And in um, the today's story, the descent of Anana, we go down to hell, uh, hell. We go down to the underworld, and the underworld is a city with seven walls. Urban is important, and it's part of the framework of everything. At the end of Gilgamesh, there's a scene where he's trying to decide, you know, what gives life meaning, and what is immortality, and it ends really weirdly as he measures Uruk. But that city had maybe one and a half million people in it and 5% of the world's total population in it. And that's immortality of its own. So when you say he measured it, what is, what do you mean by that? Like it's a really weird ending. He, he, he tries to find immortality with magic and with epic quests and just fails to. So he goes home and says, you know, I like this city. It's 17 leagues long and the temple is a league wide and there's a pond this many leagues across filled with crocodiles. It's great. That is so specific. It is. It's a really weird ending. I I actually thought like he was using the city as the metric. Like this Uruk is one Uruk long. Oh, like Rhode Island. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, this city is like 0.35 Uruks or no. 1.2 Uruks. Like does Rhode Island measure Rhode Island as in Rhode Island says this? Um, it measures it in Desa, Texas units. <laughs> <laughs> More like Miller, Texas. <laughs> Zing. Sorry. But when you think about like the some of the Jewish stories, they talk about like Babylon and how corrupt it is. And that's another kind of us versus them, city mouse versus country mouse sort of thing. So this urbanization is a part of the myths that we're going to be dealing with for a very long time. So it's almost kind of like, have you seen Meet Me in St. Louis? No. The Judy Garland movie? <laughs> oh, but I sh- every- apparently I Wait. should have. You really should because there's a lot of measuring of St. Louis and how fantastic a city St. Louis is in the world because it has the World's Fair. And can we tell you more about how great St. Louis is at this particular time in history? And St. Louis is always going to be great. Is that the one with the guy selling instruments, like the fraudulent instrument seller? No, that is Music Man. Okay. Mm -hmm. My sister moved to St. Louis. St. Louis back. is awesome. There's a the it's city museum okay. is the best place to go. The city mm-hmm. museum is amazing. Okay, okay. So let's just let's go to hell. Let's let's do it. There's kind of a category of hell experiences. We've kind of talked about them as the gray waste, and this is uh, the Jewish Sheol and the Greek uh, Hades. The afterlife is big, gray, and boring. And that is a proud Mesopotamian tradition that carries forward quite some time. And like the Greek mythos, there is no real judgment in uh, the the afterlife. Um, let's just call it the desert. I think that's fairly accurate. It's a place where the dead go. And there really isn't moral judgment. Great sinners go there. Uh, kings go there. There's not a lot to differentiate it. When you finish your life, if you've made some positive difference, maybe you'll be remembered better. But when you die, your body stops um, and you go to the underworld, which, let's see, there's some good quotes from it. This is from The Descent of Anana. Uh, He bound my arms like the wings of a bird to lead me captive to the house of darkness, the seat of Urkula, to the house where none who enters ever leaves on the path that allows no journey back, to the house whose residents are deprived of light, where soil is their sustenance and clay their food where they are clad like birds in coats of feathers and see no light but dwell in darkness. On door and bolt the dust lay thick. On the house of dust was poured a deathly quiet. 
and the house of dust I entered. So she went to Ikea. Uh, no. <laughs> no. It's, it has an umlaut over dust. <laughs> it's bleak, it's bland, it's joyless, and that's that's all you get. And the thing you said which kind of like triggers this is remembered. Why is being remembered important? Well, so you have your soul. You're dead, man. You're dead. You're dead. You're dead. When you die, your body stops, and you you may end there. I'm not sure. There's a concept called the atema, which is like a soul. Maybe it is a soul. It depends. It's really hard to generalize over three thousand years. End of story. Hard but, for you. I do it. I do it easily. <laughs> it's like that's that's breakfast. That's old. When you die, <laughs> the atema lingers around for a few days for funeral funeral rites and things like that. And after that, it begins its journey into the underworld. Hmm. It's kind of like what we were talking about with the... The Cajun. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What? The Sumerian zombies. Like, your soul yeah. yes. hangs yeah. around. The danger of your... And, and I'm, I'm sure it has a biological basis of, like, not really, you know, like, the, the terrible habit that people had of suddenly waking up when everybody thought they were dead. <laughs> Um, and seven days is the magic number here too. That's yeah, how long the funeral like, rites. I was, to ask, I was going to ask: Is it seven? It, it is, is seven. It is seven. Everything is seven. See everything. Every. I feel like we need to. Okay, we got to like make our conspiracy board with yarn and photos and <laughs> cut out words and because we're we're like we're unlocking we're we're unlocking some 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 deep knowledge here, y'all. Let me just make this vast three thousand year generalization. Seven was important. Wow. I'm good at this. <laughs> You're very good at this. So if you if you die, when you die, inevitably when you die, um, your firstborn son is going to carry on your legacy. And some of your station in life, like how happy you are, is dependent on what funeral goods you get offered, whether people are pouring wine, wine in your grave, uh, whether you're being remembered. If there's nobody to remember you, then, yeah, it's not a great existence. But 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 it's also worth saying that more so than in like modern evangelical Christianity or Jewish myth, this there's a metaphorical element here too. Like these are stories we tell ourselves, and I think the Mesopotamians knew that more than maybe we do now. So the world of the dead isn't important. It's just metaphor in some ways. Maybe that changes over the course of the 3,000-year period we're talking about, but by and large— I think there's a sense that this is the important world and the rest of it is kind of allegory, maybe. The whole legacy aspect being remembered, is that, do you think that that connects to the hierarchy of the afterlife where those who had multiple children? Oh, the multiple children quote. Mm -hmm. Where is that? Is that in the 12th tablet of Gilgamesh where they're having a conversation about yeah. So, you know, different people they know and what's yeah, happening did you, with them. I saw the man with one son. He was fine. I saw yep. the man with seven sons. I saw the baker. He had three sons. Mm-hmm. Um, none it's of like they is, all have their little cars yeah. in the game of life with little pegs yeah. stuck in there. Yeah. So they get to move ahead if they the more pegs they have. Yeah. A man with seven sons is just having a blast. A man with one son weeps bitterly at the wooden peg which was driven into his wall. Pegs? See, that one I, I, I was baffled by. Yeah, fair. Me too. Maybe his television. He can't get anybody to hang his television up. My mother needs me to come and help her with her her television and things like that. So that. Might so be again, it. children, children in your old like you need them to come and do tech to be your IT department. Even back in Mesopotamia, kids were the IT department. Yeah. Uh, apparently, a man that is eaten by a lion still suffers physical pain, and a leprous man twitches like an ox as the worms eat at him. At him. So that's good. So if you're if you die in pain, <laughs> that may or may not stick with you for quite some time. Do oxen twitch? Question mark. Well, when the worms eat them, they twitch. Oh, okay, fair. Yeah. But 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 stillborn children, what happens to them? <gasps> I know that question. This is another common trope. We our obsession with babies. I know. They play at the table of gold and silver laden with honey and ghee. Mm, so they gee they wow, so they called it gee well they called gee gee there no is it the they, same gee they they probably have a 14 syllable word for it <laughs> okay 
Same honey idea, though. Ghee. Like mm. honey and ghee, it to me sounds better than milk and honey. Oh, <laughs> so much better. Like we crossed the Jordan into the promised land and it's subpar. Oh, well, milk and honey, guys. Okay. Yeah, ghee is way better. Interesting. Interesting. So your soul breaks away from your body, descends into the underworld, uh, and then you're on a journey across a vast plain. Some of the words for the land of the dead are the desert, the wasteland, that sort of thing. The words are kind of interchangeable. The wilderness is the land of the dead. And that fits the idea of the city, the, the city being the center of the world, which is a very Mesopotamian sort of position. So your soul crosses a plane filled with demons. I think Pazuzu flies you sometimes if you're really lucky. We'll get to Pazuzu eventually. What, what about the, what is it, the escort goblins? Oh, I don't know. I saw somewhere a reference to the, escort goblins, oh, the, and I got super gala. excited gala? by that. The gala? Gala? Yes, 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 yes. They're really kind uh-huh. of infernal police officers. Okay, so they're, okay. Yeah, they, they, they will escort you in a not nice way. So like, kind of, you know, like, what is it, frog march you? Yeah, yeah, and they don't take bribes, They um, and they're, they're really keen on interrupting sex for some reason, like that that gets called <laughs> Who out a lot. isn't? Yeah, right. me too, come on. I, I know. Um, <laughs> but I think they're, they're underworld demons of, of their own sort of style. But you cross this plain, and then you cross the River Huber, which we did talk about a couple of months ago. Um, yep. And maybe you can get across the River Huber with the help of Urshanabi the Ferryman. I read, or I heard that that from that video that his name means "quick, get me there." Yeah, yeah, it's some sort of ridiculous. That's pun. awesome. I love the literal nature of that. Or Sluigi. Um and sometimes he's a monster named Hemar Tobel, which also means something like "Hey, over there." Or take me quick or something like that. See, language, man, you can't beat it. And the River Huber, it's kind of like the River of Death, the River Styx. Um, it's a symbol for death as well as like this this place. And Mesopotamia itself was bound by rivers. It was surrounded mm-hmm. by rivers. That's all the cities were on the edges of river. So to cross a river into the land of the dead kind of makes sense. So somehow you get over the river, you get to Mount Kerr. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. the river flows into Mount Kerr. Um, maybe the temple of the gods is Eker on top of Mount Kerr. Maybe Kerr is a dragon. I don't know. That seems to happen Ooh. at one point in time, but mostly it's a mountain or just kind of the word for the land of the dead as well. There's somewhere in there, there's a staircase you go down that goes very far down underneath the great ocean under the world to the city of Ganser, which is the seven walled great city or palace, uh, which is kind of the which is the homeland of the dead. It's the homeland of the, uh, the gods and goddesses of death and the community that builds around it and inside of it. Is it um, kind of like the capital city? Like, like it would be Oz. I think, I think that's probably a good analogy because in a, in a proper Mesopotamian city, you have kind of the ziggurat at the, at the center. Although mm-hmm. in Ganser, you have a, a courtyard at the center. And then that kind of spreads out into like regions around it where you have like the, the palace district has all the uh, palaces palace district and the ziggurat has all of the state offices and bureaucracy and things like that. Then you go further out and you're in the merchants quarters and you go further out and you're in the farmlands and things like that. So it's kind of got these waves of settlement around it. And um, I mean, the city below reflects the city above. It's where everything happens. It's where the world is. Cool. And so the steps also, those are lousy with demons too, right? Like you have to, you encounter I don't it's know. teeming with demons from what I I don't what I read. Is I don't know about that, that one. Not the steps I, necessarily. I kind of got okay. the impression that of the demons, the demons only bothered you if you tried to leave. Like if you gotcha. walk out, they drag you back. If you're there, mm-hmm. they have no reason to bother you. But I confess that I only learned to read last week, and so I may not have gotten the whole, you know, gist of the thing. I could so again, they're like the guards at in yeah. Oz. Yeah. The um Okay. I, I think that the desert was actually quite risky. Like crossing put your soul in jeopardy. You get that some of that in the Egyptian journey of the dead as well. But I couldn't really find any specifics. I wasn't really researching demons, but I will at some point in time. I went down a little rabbit hole of demons and this is a uh teach a Vic to fish moment because <laughs> I was going to ask y'all this, but then I learned 
with my own with my own two typing fingers that demons are just at this point just spirits. In this tradition, they are just spirits. They're neither good nor bad. Yeah. Christianity made them bad. I think that's that's right. They're just kind of alien others. Uh, monsters are spirits with like strong animal components. Demons are spirits that are humanoid. Mm-hmm. But I've got a lot of thoughts about that. Oh, we could save it for later. Okay. I have a whole thing about saints and monsters. Okay. A whole, well, hold on. A whole mini lecture on that. Probably do a de- <laughs> demon episode fairly soon. It's interesting because the 2021 demon has 840 horsepower and a lot of torque. And so Dodge is really doing good things with demons these days. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's it's that uh, what it was a uh, solid state technology. Is that what they call it these days? Uh, you, I don't know. Make room. <laughs> oh, my God. I am, I am so lost. Go, go chips. Is that what they're called? The, the Dodge Demon. It's a yeah. car. <laughs> It's a muscle car. Oh my god! Well, they do have a don't they have a car called the Incubus or the Succubus or something like what? Isn't the there Dodge some... Incubus? I think there is. One. I hope that I didn't dream that. I hope, in fact, there are like the Incubus is like the you know the the big like four by four, and the Succubus is like <laughs> the sedan or something. It's a, the Miata, the, the tiny little girly sports car. Exactly. Like you buy it for your daughter, you know, it's fairly safe, but it's kind of, you know, it's kind of fast looking. Look, I'm a pretty masculine dude. I would drive a Dodge Succubus in bright pink. Oh my God. Yeah, you would, you would, you would rock that. No, I, no qualms. <laughs> I have a Potomoy call out. <laughs> Where am I Potomoy at? I actually have two Potomoy, sort of. Um, so there's a river in the Mesopotamian underworld, uh, Eridan, which, uh, as I understand, some in some versions, the healthy spirits could drink from it, but the weaker spirits had to drink from mud puddles nearby. Uh, I don't, I don't know why. But Eridanus is a river of Hades that we didn't get to because it wasn't – it's kind of a mythic river that is or isn't in Hades. When Phaeton crashes the chariot of the sky in that one legend where he becomes the sun for a while and then crashes, he mm-hmm. crashes into the river Eridanus which, of course, is a god as well because it's a, it's a river in Greece. So there's a tie-in there. But this kind of echoes the Greek story of how the titans are imprisoned beneath the world. Hmm. The giant ocean that the underworld is underneath uh, is called Apsu. That's the name of Tiamat's brother and consort. Mm. Tiamat is the saltwater deity and Apsu is the freshwater deity. So this is kind of that, that ocean. And Tiamat's also uh, Dungeons and Dragons. She is. She's she's changed over the years. Mm-hmm. As have we all. <laughs> Speak for yourselves. So ultimately, all of the Mesopotamian underworld is kind of this shadow reflection of life on the earth. You cross rivers to get to the city on the edge of the river. It's dark instead of light, but it's also got the same hierarchies and it's led by a goddess. Now, in in the living world, every city was the home of a god or goddess. The culture and cult was built up around a god occupying the town. So Uruk's goddess was Ishtar or Inanna. Mm-hmm. Very popular. Um, I don't remember the rest of them. There's a lot of them. But um, in the underworld, the city the city is led by the goddess Erishkagal and sometimes her husband or sometimes just her husband, depending. So that's kind of the same mirror as this city is lorded over by a god at the center, as above, so below. Ah, mm-hmm. All of these stories kind of need to be taken with a bucket of salt for a couple of different reasons. For one, again, it's kind of more metaphor than fact in many ways. Mm-hmm. For another, all of these myths were kind of internal documentation for the temple. Like there's scribes writing training manuals for scribes, so there's this very serious slanting towards the church's, the temple's hierarchy, and also a very strong male slanting as well. This is a literate male literature. We don't really know what was being told you know, at the taverns or whatever. Uh, I'm sure that Ishtar got a lot of tavern stories because she was hot. Yeah, and this goes into I, the poetess. I know I'm going to say her name wrong. Neduana, mm-hmm. who wrote the poems about Inanna, they were very 
they 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 posited Inanna as sort of a feminist, a proto-feminist. And I'm kind of wondering how that sort of went down in the culture, because Inanna also, her temple clergy was both male and female cross-dressed. There was a cross-dressing tradition in that particular temple. So this is the world's first byline, is that correct? Yes, mm-hmm, exactly. The world's first byline. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, Ishtar Inanna was so wildly popular. I mean, she was... She and her her father were probably like the number one and number two gods and goddesses in no particular order. I mean, she's an amazing and horrifying character. So I don't know. She may have had enough life to survive any number of patriarchal attempts on it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I don't know. Um, but I mean, in her home temple, she would have been like the the lead god. So there's always this this cult surrounding her in Uruk at least. Oh, I did see one reference that sounded really neat, kind of like the saint. Uh, the St. Nicholas pageants that went along and the liturgical dramas of the Middle Ages, uh, one author was suggesting that the story of Inanna's descent into the underworld is actually told as this roaming pageant that goes from town to town across Mesopotamia, beginning in Uruk, the home of Ishtar, and ending in, I don't know, something beginning with TH. It's the home of Nurgle and Ereshkigal. So it kind of circles around the, the country and then comes home once a year. Is it like the passion, the passion yeah, play? Yeah, the passion yeah. play of... Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Of, of Inanna. Okay. Inanna's Great Mistake, Volume 1. <laughs> but as you, I mean, you were saying that she's kind of a... I mean, she's a very complicated figure and kind of a she, difficult figure to wrap one's head around. She is so big. Um, mm-hmm. She's big and she steals... She eats gods, basically. I mean, not literally, but meta- metaphorically. Can we talk about me for a minute? <laughs> if you insist, it's always it's always about you. So, me you're complicated. That, I, I I am complicated. No. <laughs> I are complicated. Right. <laughs> We're going to milk this one. Me am having a hard time to think. <laughs> Big word. Oh, um, that book. Oh, that okay. That one book. There was a fiction book. Uh, it's called Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. I'm going to take this moment and say, Lawler's my British pen pal friend. I've read it. Jacob's read it. I'm going to make Victoria read it. You haven't read it yet. <laughs> I have to read the Inferno first, right? <laughs> no. Yes. Okay, I'll read. No, this we've first. got until Inferno November. Oh, that's right. Right. So just I, maybe that's my that's that's a segment is books that Vic has to read. So this is a canonical cyberpunk text. It's one of the first cyberpunks. So it does a lot of things wrong, but it sets a lot of, of precedents. I love this book because it gives a narrative of an honest descent into the underworld. And it has linguistics and uh, swords and motorcycles and what like oh it's action-packed like i make people say hey look read the first page and a half if you're not hooked give it back my feelings aren't hooked the main character's name is hero protagonist <laughs> but it's, it's, it's the <laughs> japanese h-i-r-o so it's hero, hero protagonist hero, hero protagonist it's kind of like a basil exposition in austin powers yeah exactly yeah. i'm mm-hmm. pretty sure you like the book because it's linguist with superpowers and see, I keep saying no. It's like this thoughtful, like exposition of why the Babel event happened, why sociolinguistics happened, how the human structure, the human basic structure of learning happens. And he's like, no, it's just linguists with superpowers. I like reductionism. So it's snow. I keep wanting to call it snow crab, but I know that's wrong. Snow crab. Snow, snow peas. <laughs> snow peas. <laughs> Or snow laughing matter <laughs> as in the same line as Texas doesn't understand snow plows. <laughs> too soon. Too soon. Sorry, guys. Sorry. Oh, we were talking about me. Oh, so, okay. So ah. me, me are structure. You have these written me for, um, let me actually pull up the list of me. Dear Google, ignore the typing. Sounds like spiders dancing. 
<laughs> do you mean I love that sound. Windows ME? No, Wikipedia, I do not. Does it have an accent? Like I, a little diacritical? No, it, I, it doesn't. I think it might be pronounced meh, like or I'm may? not interested. <laughs> but it's, quote, spelled, unquote, M-E, mostly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so me, mythology, a decree of Sumerian deities. And what this is, it's it's day-to-day life. And the the fiction book kind of talks about the snow crash, and you're like, here's how you plant corn. Here's how you harvest corn. Here's how you pitch woo. Here's how you brush your teeth, right? And in all of these tablets, we see very ordered, rigid explanations, which are often repeated. And so like a me is, and we'll kind of go through some of these, godship, kingship, royal insignia, shepherdship, ladyship, truth, the flood, law, these are very high concept words. Yes, yeah. and it's it's like I, I also being lazy is on there as well. Oh yeah, I haven't gotten that far yet because I. Oh wait, hang on. Are there uh, seven of them? There's more than okay. There's there's a lot. Okay. The one tablet had a list of a hundred, and because somebody dropped it, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> we only have sixty four. <sighs> so. <laughs> 56, victory, how to win. And again, it, it kind of talks about, it's like, we write down, no, okay, so Sumerian Akkadian, like the whole cuneiform, like we've completely glossed over all of this. Cuneiform, the written language, is a massive thing. Before, we were hunter-gatherers or shepherds. Now we're a city and we write things down. And we start writing things down because we can. And then we start dictating this it's like okay how do you plant corn um if your corn's not knee high by july you're doing it wrong we suddenly because we can write we have these me we have these things it's like look oh you're new to town huh do you want to be a farmer do you want to be a priest do you want to be a prostitute here's your list of instructions step one fishnets step two not not the clothing actual fishnets i this uh, this oh, wait. well mm. actually this this is where I would I would deviate here. Uh, I think Neil Stevenson would have you believe these are software manuals, and I if you've ever played White Wolf's game Scion, which is about the children of gods becoming gods themselves. Uh, oh, all of them have these tools. Like Thor's hammer is a magical tool that mm. also contains the power of the idea of thunder. Cool, 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 cool. The moon goddess's mirror contains the idea of beauty or something like that. These me are structures for determining how a god relates to humanity and how a god relates to the world. Specifically, the me that Inanna stole from the god Enki after a drinking contest were the hundred-something me that were the me of human wisdom. Uh, which right. included be, included being lazy. So each city-state had its own me. Some had some me, some had others. And Inanna stole these me and distributed them out. She stole knowledge on, you know, this. So if you want to be better as a society, your society is going to have more me. We can plant more corn. We can harvest more fish. We can wear more fishnets. Because you need yes. Like, imagine a city without these things. It's kind of a Prometheus myth. I was going to say Prometheus. She stole fire from the gods. Although she kept it. Because <laughs> that's her. Well, she shared a little. That's so Inanna. These aren't just clay tablets, though. They're things like Thor's hammer. I'm going to eventually get to the story of Inanna's descent of the underworld. And she gears up for battle. She is wearing the magic top hat of stage performance presence. She's she's got these things that are both the symbol and the thing and the power of the deity and possibly even the instructions for relationships between God and man. And that is a may, me and is a very complicated idea, but it is it is a deity's portfolio in a single concept thing. And that's a me. The interaction between God and man defined. Yes, but also also a fun accessory for parties. 
So here's a question that just occurred to me. Inanna's descent into hell, is this the first evidence of strip poker? <laughs> it does have it does have that feeling. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But I think it's more of a disarmament treaty than a yeah. fun party game. We'll probably well, get into this in the next episode, but I'm going to say now, as I will then, it's the Dance of the Seven Veils. Ooh. Mm. Okay. Well, all these things are connected. Everything's I I think we could make tens of dollars if we create an app where we could create like online conspiracy boards where we could lay all this out with the seven veils, strip poker, seven dwarves, seven gates. So, I'm uh, we're going strange places, so I'm <laughs> going to I'm going to tell this story now. Do it. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> This is two stories that are kind of mashed up together, uh, the journey of Inanna into the underworld and the journey of Ishtar into the underworld. And they're not the same story. Inanna's journey is longer. It's got more details. Ishtar's journey has better action scenes. And maybe Inanna isn't the same as Ishtar, but we're going to smash them together like they were the same thing. So there. And I think it's worth talking about how genuinely terrifying and awful Ishtar is. Inanna is. She's the biggest goddess. She has got the portfolios of a hundred deities that she's stolen. And a lot of her stories involve her taking more power away from other deities. This is the thing she does. She's a goddess of love and war primarily, and not a nice person. She gets in her head to go to hell, probably because she doesn't have a hell yet. And she wants one. <laughs> hmm. Now, Anana's sister is Ereshkigal, the goddess of the underworld. Not necessarily the goddess of death, but the goddess of the dead. Uh, and she's going to go visit because she likes family. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she makes a list of everything she needs to leave behind. Uh, she lists all of her titles and who she's going to give them to. But it's really like making funeral arrangements for Wolverine. It's not going to happen. We know it. <laughs> Immediately, the next tablet jumps into a training montage. And you'll feel like it's a little early for one. But yeah, that was like 10 pages of out of office email instructions and things like that. So Inanna has a big dressing for war and leveling up and guns and ammo montage because she's putting on her me, her good me, the seven great me that she has. Um, and she's wearing her best hat and her dress and spangles and her awesome Dolly Parton wig and the Christian Louboutin <laughs> eyeliner, which is the real thing and not the knockoff and her epic <laughs> do me, do me now shoes and everything. <laughs> she is hot and armed. So this this follows directly to like the breastplate of righteousness and the boots of whatever, right? Like yeah, the, the concept of a thing is a thing is a thing. Yeah, she's got the mm. the measuring stick of rulership or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Whoa. I'm being glib, but she is wearing the me and yeah. some of them are she's wearing the the named it's got a name robe of being a priest. And and she is wearing doomy shoes. She's wearing one of the me's is the me of prostitution, and she is, damn it, she's wearing those shoes. So what song is playing during the montage? Heart, Barracuda. Ooh, I was thinking uh, she's got legs. She's got Ooh. legs. I wouldn't like an instrumental rock version of these boots were made for walking. Mm. Ooh, okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. For- but, but she's got legs. That works for me, I think. Okay. Anana's also that friend that ends up with your favorite jacket in her closet every time. But that jacket contains the entire concept of the goddess of awesome but fashionably late entrances. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, she's wearing the hat of heaven, the wig of the ultimate hoe, the priest robe of priesting, (laughs) the you, me in bed right now glitter makeup, and probably put the pepper spray of destroying entire cities into her purse. Because Mm -hmm. if you have the pepper spray of, of destroying entire cities, you should carry it with you at all times. Yeah. And, yes, destroying entire cities is a me. (laughs) So she goes to Ninshubar, who's her bestie, and says, Ninshubar, just take some notes. I'm going to hell. If I don't come back, try to look really sad and surprised and tell Daddy that something really sad happened and he probably won't listen, so tell Enki instead. Uh, Father, do not let your daughter die in hell. Do not let the dust of hell bury your bright metal, nor the lapis, the lovely lapis lazuli be ground into rubble by the stonebreaker. Do not let the young girl Inanna die in hell. Don't let the young lady Inanna die in hell. Tell him that. Wow. It's sort of like, okay, so... Maybe either like Papa Don't Preach or <laughs> Time After Time is playing softly. Yeah, it's this is like, here's the sob story you're going to tell if I don't show up. I'm going to the Land of the Dead, which has rules like you can't come back. So 
you'll you'll need these later. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what's the word for an ingenue who isn't a disingenue? <laughs> <laughs> it is now. <laughs> so, Inanna gets to the gates of the underworld, and Nettie, who's Ereshkigal's doorman, uh, and she puts up with so much shit. Nettie meets her there and says, oh, lo, uh, Ike is kind of busy right now. What's going on? And Nana's also wearing the lavalier mic of lying like a fox news anchorman. <laughs> so she says, oh, I'm here for my brother-in-law's funeral. And I totally had nothing to do with him getting graphically dismembered last week. Um, <laughs> and Nettie looks down at her and sees that she's wearing the power armor of Tony Stark and the sword of Gryffindor and her best doomy boots and says, isn't that the pepper spray of destroying entire cities in your purse? And Nana says, Yes. And if you don't get EK right now, I'm going to blow the hell out of everything and unleash a zombie apocalypse on the world. And Nettie says, okay, let me let me go get EK. She's probably not that busy. Does she have a tiny dog? I feel like she needs a tiny dog. A doorman? No, no, no. Um, Inanna. Inanna. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. it'd be like the tiny dog of ultimate status symbol or something like that. Yeah, privilege of, of extreme privilege. Oh, yes, the tiny dog of extreme privilege. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. She needs the tiny dog of extreme privilege. The tiny dog of we smuggled these into Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so Erish Gagal has a nice little boring government job that's pretty sweet, pays well. Uh, she just files your dead forms for everyone. Um, but she knows that Inanna, her sister, is pretty much like Veruca Salt and Britney Spears' love child. So she's really mm-hmm. freaked out. So mm-hmm. E.K. says to Nettie, OK, let her in. Let her in slowly. Tell her we have rules. And Nettie really needs a raise. So she goes to Inanna and says, okay, we're going to let you into the city. Each time Inanna goes through another doorway, she says, okay, so EK is really excited to see you, but it's complicated. You'll need to lose the hat. (laughs) Um, And so on and so on and so on. And so she goes through Mm -hmm. seven gates each time. Okay, Inanna is really happy to see you. There are rules, so the Doomy shoes need to go. And at the final doorway, Inanna is naked and she's lost all of her power-ups. And she's still powerful enough to shove Erish Gagal off of her throne and plop herself down Captain Kirk style in that chair. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. So E.K. gets all the Anunnaki together. These are the seven judges and they use a level 40 word of God slaying and that seems to put her down. Wow. So so in my mind, Rose McGowan is playing uh, Erish uh, How do you say her name? Erish Gagal? Erish Gagal. So yeah. I'm calling her E.K. It's simpler. E.K. So Rose McGowan is playing E.K., not sure who's playing Inanna yet. I think she's blonde. I'd buy that. Or like really great red hair. Yeah, maybe a redhead. You're right. Yeah. Hmm. So part two, uh, Inanna is the goddess of boinking and she's dead. She really is dead. Like her body is hanging on a hook. It's pale and grisly. She's mm-hmm. dead, dead, dead. Mm-hmm. And she's in hell and probably for seven days. And not even the teenagers are boning anymore. It's that bad. So this is pretty much the end of civilization. Nothing is reproducing. And Nunchibar goes up and goes to the gods. She's on schedule and says, Ishtar's dead. No one saw this coming. We need to get out of jail free card. But no one buys it. Um, except for Enki, who's kind of a complete pushover. He's really nice. And yeah. Too nice. Enki's, yeah, he's so nice. Um, mm-hmm. Enki says, oh, that's really sad. Like, I'm so sad for you. And I'm sad for her. And I'm sad for me. And I'm sad for us and for all of this. So she makes he makes this pair of guys, thing one and thing two, and sends them out of the underworld with a, with a discount potion of resurrection. And what did no, 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 say that again? Okay. Enki makes two genderless creatures and sends them down to resurrect Inanna. And Erish Gagal is pretty messed up over a having just killed her sister with a level 40 word of God slang, but also having created a whole lot of drama because now nothing is having sex anymore and it's a problem and everybody's getting angry, but there are rules. And EK is like, if you're going to say anything about her, she is a creature of rules. Yep. Mm-hmm. So she's lawful evil. In D&D, yeah, I'd say she is. Is um, she is she evil? In, Maybe she's lo- is she just like but she's not good. She's lawful neutral. So D&D conflates evil and death a lot and all the gods of the dead are evil. So mm. lawful evil is about right. But she's oh, she's just following the rules, guys. I I kind of think she lets the potion of resurrection trick happen because it lets her have an out. Although she's still in and can't leave. So Lady Gaga comes back from the dead and she's she can't escape. Did you just call her Lady Gaga? Yeah. (laughs) 
so they make a deal. Uh, she has to get her placement. And we're into that kind of six months, six months territory again, like the myth of Persephone. Uh, Lady Gaga goes back to the surface world and she's got these, the gala, these unbribable police demons with her. And mm-hmm. they don't take bribes. They don't eat. They don't drink. You can't make them offerings. They are relentless and heartless creatures. And they even like to interrupt sex. That, that, they're that bad. What, uh, is, uh, what is up with that? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, pervs. So Inanna takes the devils around for a tour and they say, uh, yeah, we'd like to take someone to hell. Uh, how about your bestie? And she says, no, don't take my bestie. She just did me a solid. It's a friend of me. Friend of me, really. Well, this is Nunshabar. Nunshabar is like her buddy buddy. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. And they say, so we'll take, let's take this guy. And she says, no, he does my nails. Uh, mm. They say. Kara, right? Hmm? Is the name Kara? I think so. he actually has, there's a name for like her pedicurist. Yeah, it is Kara. Okay. Uh, and then they say, hey, let's take your husband. And she says, okay, that's cool. Um, and so they take Dumasi, her husband. And it it was a bad romance. Well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she spurted. Dumasi was not mourning Inanna, but really everybody was in on the joke and they all knew how it was going to go down. So why should he? She's going to come back. Dumasi's the god of livestock and shepherds. And he's kind of angry about this. And he says, lady, how could you treat me like this? I brought you dairy products. And he gets his brother-in-law to turn him into a snake so he can escape. I don't know why a snake, but he does. Everybody loves snakes. The devils can find him anywhere because they're like his infernal case managers. So they raid his sister's house and mess up everything there and by extension mess up the entire concept of livestock. And they finally find <laughs> Dumasi and drag him to hell. And his sister comes with him. And then they set up this timesharing arrangement where Dumasi and his sister trade off for six months. Uh, amen. Praise Erish Gagal. Query. Yes. I, f- I found discrepancies about who actually is the scribe of the underworld. Um, yes. Because some sources say it's her. It's uh, the sister of, uh, how do you say his name again? Uh, what is um, Dumazi or Tamas? Um, yeah. Uh, his um, sister is. Gessanana? Something like that. It starts with a G, but then other sources yeah, say it's a, yes, Gishtianana. And then other sources say Belitseri. Yeah. Belitseri is the goddess of the desert, which makes a lot of sense. She basically mm-hmm. checks people in. So it's Belitseri. But yeah, why would some of them say anywho? 3,000 years. There is not, there's like eight pantheons that get smooshed together. So I guess so. People pick yeah. up duties that drove me a little batty because I really want to know who the scribe of the underworld is. I can't worry too much about it. I'm going to worry. And also, I don't know if necessarily Gestanani, Gestanani doesn't appear in both of these stories. Ah, she only, so that, she that only would, appears in the Ishtar mm-hmm. story, which is the later version. Maybe that's it. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the story. Um, it's very old, 2100 uh, BC or so. Uh, one of the first stories. Uh, it's much less silly when you read the actual document. Um, Lady Gaga does not make an appearance. But I feel like when we actually can gather in person someday, one of us who one has of perhaps... Us. One of us. One of a Google gavel. Um, one of us who Google, perhaps Google has... Google the, bird, the bull of heaven. <laughs> <laughs> one of us who has perhaps some cinematography or photography skills, we should make this little high school drama of the descent of Anana. It is very, very much like a plot of charmed or, <laughs> you know, or nine Oh two one Oh. So photography wise, do you want to do like a, like a stop motion claymation? Do you want to do like, do you want to get a, 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 a super eight camera? Like, tell me, Tell me how this is going to work. So all the gods have these radiant auras of amazing around them. Like mm. some of them have multiple auras, like seven auras. And there's seven. so many particles. Yeah. The the demon Huma Boo Boo. Huma Huma. Hubba Hubba. Hubba Hubba. Hubba Bubba. Has seven, um, has seven, seven. auras. Uh, that's actually uh, Pazuzu's brother. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So, I'm a big fan of Pazuzu all of a sudden. I, I don't know where I, that came from. I, I like him, um, mm-hmm. but I'm a furry. Um, 
but um, he uh, no. Uh, so I think particle effects like paper paper cutout shadow puppets, but with like radiant effects all around them. And like the uh, the the Doomy shoes glow red or something like that. I love this. I, I'm envisioning like lots and lots of paper, felt, found object. Okay. Stop motion. Yeah, um, but with like a big color contrast because you go down below and there's it's it's bleak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like this could be really really fun, and finally would uh, allow me to use a lot of things that are in my craft room right now. So I'm seeing like the journey when she crosses the line. The, to go below the hell, the entire thing flips over and it's exactly the same, but like color desaturated. So that's the transition. She goes beyond, she goes between the lines of the two things and the entire thing flips over to emphasize the mirror world of it all. And then it's black and white. So it's like a reverse Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And, and more so because every doorway she goes through, she loses more of her color. Ooh. Oh, yeah. nice. I got to stock up on some like gray scale paper. Yeah. <laughs> Paper and, and uh, felt. We can also get the the UV paint and the black lights out too. I mean, this is oh totally nice. This is prime cool. prime disco era here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 So in the story of Anana, she went all the way down, somehow clawed her way all the way back. End of story for Anana. Everyone lives happily ever after. Yes uh, or no? Um, Does happy have a meaning here? And Nana lives happily ever after. And that's the important thing. Is she the Anna Wintower of Mesopotamia? I'm going to say yes. Who? She was. <laughs> she's the, the um, controversial editor of Vogue magazine. Oh, absolutely. Yes, I'm she sure. Was she was the subject of the Devil Wears Prada. Yes, I think no, because she's not organized. She's like this crazy impulsive thing who blows up a mountain once because it didn't pro- show her proper respect well maybe she is the devil wears prada is she the fran drescher <laughs> I, I, she's mesopotamia fran she's, drescher was a sweetheart it's true is she the camille paglia of mesopotamia oh my goodness gracious i can't play this game she's she's a celebrity i mean she's powerful and she knows it she's privileged and she knows it she's the daughter of the god of the king and she knows it She's the most powerful goddess of this pantheon, and she knows it, and she works it, and she flaunts it. She's she, Madonna. Yeah. She's, a, she's the goddess of sex. She's not a mother goddess. Actually, Ereshkigal is a mother goddess in some ways, and, and Inanna is not. She's here for, for Inanna, and maybe the world will have a fun time going along with her. We don't know. It's, it's Inanna's world, and we, live in, we just live in it. Maybe that's the tagline for our movie. I think so, Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for following along with us. As usual, it's been a pleasure just chatting here with you. If you make it there before us, we'll see you in hell. This podcast is copyright 2021 by The Dispatchist and its Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources.